This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning. I'm not sure if I should welcome you here or whether I should thank you for having me here. Um, maybe both. Maybe we're always both in both states. You know? Being grateful for where we are and that we've been given permission to be here and um, welcoming everything and everyone else too. But I would, in particular, like to thank Mako and, and Tim and many others who have uh, put this shishin that we're going to have. In case you don't know, we're going to. This is the first day of a, a seven-day meditation intensive called Rohatsu, which I think translates as the eighth day. and it represents the sashin, the meditation intensive that precedes uh, Shakyamuni Buddha's awakening. Or maybe we could say Buddha's awakening. That Buddha there, including awakening of everyone. The capacity within us to be present, to realize in the moment what's happening. In Southeast Asia, the tradition is um, that Shakyamuni Buddha was not only born in the spring, but he was also, uh, he awakened in the spring. And I think somewhat in the Christian tradition, you know, that Jesus Christ uh, awakened in the spring, maybe under challenging and difficult circumstances. But, um, so it's notable that in the uh, Chinese Japanese tradition, it's in the heart of winter that the awakening happens. If you think about it, spring is the birth of life. You know, you think, you know, even before Christianity in in Europe and in the New World, there were many uh, traditions calling forth and exalting the rites of spring. and how winter has a different demeanor to it. It's um, the still time where everything in the earth seems to be hibernating or being still. Uh, and, and this 
in a way captures the demeanor of Rohatsu Sushin. Sushin, the Shin there, the Shin there is um, heart mind, Shin, heart mind. And, and I've heard the, the first syllable translated in a variety of ways. Uh, sometimes it's touching, touching the heart mind, sometimes gathering the heart mind, sometimes holding heart mind. <clears throat> and that there's a process that goes on in doing that. And to my mind, there's something about the uh, you know spring comes out of winter, um, not by conscious endeavor. You know, winter doesn't make spring. Winter is winter. Winter makes winter. And then something comes forth from that. And I think of sitting sushin as a similar process. You know? we, we, we sit sushin and something comes forth from that. And it's not because we figured it out or through our intention. You know, we said, here's the goal and I will make the goal happen. Or even we will make the goal happen. It's more that we give over to something and the organic consequence arises. Um, and it's a significant notion in, in the process of Sushin to consider it this way. Uh, Shishin is giving over to Zazen. And Zazen, in principle, is a very simple notion. Just be. Just be what's happening. Just be what's happening now. However, whatever that is. Experience the experience that's being experienced. And in some ways, it's the most difficult thing a human being can try to do, or endeavor to do. I don't know if it's exactly trying. Um, that when, you, when you look at the patterns that become ingrained within us, the way we embody the uh, intensities of our life, we hold them in our body. The way we are affected by our development, you know, it affects us psychologically, emotionally, cognitively, you know, behaviorally. Um, and then we say, okay, now sit down and be, as in, be perfectly free, completely available 
for just this. In a way, it's the most difficult thing you could ask of us because of the um, because of the nature of our conditioned existence. And so we enter Shashin almost like the Bodhisattva vow. Delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to practice with them. I will come to Shashin and I will sit. I will intend to sit still as in not reacting to what's happening. I will intend to sit present and open and experience the experience that's being experienced. And for anyone who's done Shishin, they know that all hell breaks loose. (laughs) When you haven't done many Shishins or haven't sat much meditation, you keep thinking, well, okay, but next time I'm going to get it really got right. I'm going to do yoga so next time my knee doesn't hurt and my back doesn't ache and then I'll sit really well my mind will be calm my body will be at ease concentration will develop the energy will flow And the whole experience will be vibrating with awareness. The interesting thing is, it's not a totally ridiculous notion. It does happen. Sometimes it seems like it happens despite all the things that are going on. But it's actually more intriguing than even that. It is true. Even if you're sitting there lost in thought, the nature of consciousness is that in moments you will return to awareness. There's a saying where I grew up in Ireland that says, even a broken clock tells the right time twice a day. (laughs) But part of the intrigue of Sushin is that our endeavor, our efforts, are a catalyst. And right along with that, they can also be an obstacle. And then we see, oh, experiencing the experience that's being experienced asks of us not just a dedication of engagement, which I'll talk about in a moment, but also a um, almost like 
holding the big picture. Or like in the midst of being thoroughly the conditioned existence you are, also seeing that's just a process that's unfolding in this moment. And we, we do this individually and collectively. We create a version of reality. We say the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. Now, if you quiz any one of us about it, we all say, no, 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 well, we just say that. Uh, we all know that the earth goes around the sun, and that's an optical event. Uh, but within our subjective realities, sometimes we're enthralled by the beauty of the sunrise or the sunset. Sometimes it's um, a significant notion, high noon. Um, and similarly with other of our subjective constructs. In an interesting way, when they're unexamined and we're living inside the passion of them, they're very powerful. When I think of myself, I think uh, many times I've been deeply moved by the sunset. Once I was traveling in Indonesia, in Bali, and there's a particular beach in Bali where the sun sets. And at that time, uh, maybe because we were all hippies, uh, <laughs> everyone would gather on the beach at sunset, like there was a movie going to be shown. You know? And they would all sit there for about 30 minutes watching this beautiful event and often cheer. the details of our subjective world touch us, they influence us, they delight us, they disappoint us, they frustrate us, they inspire us. And they bring us to Shishin, they, they bring us to um, a formidable practice. Hmm. Somehow they convince us it's worth the effort. Okay, I'll go and endeavor to do the impossible. Yes, that sounds like an excellent idea. <laughs> this intriguing other aspect of reality as we know it 
is that we're capable of seeing the gestalt of that, the, the whole um, workings of that consciousness. And, and so one of the agendas, if there could be such a thing in the world of Zen, of Shishin, is both the diligence of the endeavor and the spaciousness of recognizing, well, this is arbitrary. It's not that the subjective world in which, in my foolishness, I'm delighted by sunrise and sunset. I come to the real world. No, this is just another of our constructs. And I'd suggest to you that even though there's a certain kind of absurdity to it, that we construct a version of reality and then commit as thoroughly as we can to it. There's also um, a beauty to it. Already we're loosening up the way we cling to our own version of reality, our subjective version of reality. And this is part of the craft of the Zen way. I'm sitting here this morning and I was thinking, I looked up at the altar at the end of meditation and I thought, you know, probably would be better just to have one candle at the front instead of three. I think that would be more in keeping with our tradition. And if you take that too seriously, it's ridiculous. Right? Uh, Well, I think it is. (laughs) But at the same time, if you're going to craft a version of reality Um, do it intentionally and do it with a detail a deliberateness and so while we can say you know that the essence the shin of Zazen is non-dual it has no fixed form it it has no contrived uh, guaranteed way to create it well we can say that it has an accuracy we can approach it with an intentional deliberateness. And I hope that point makes sense to you. 
And that intentional deliberateness it doesn't fix our subjective reality. I will intentionally and deliberately and diligently relate to Zazen. And that will fix me. That will fix my life. That will fix the version of reality that I live in. Hopefully, it will illuminate it. It will help you see, oh, here's how I relate to the version of reality. Here's what it stirs up in terms of thoughts and ideas. Here's what it stirs up in terms of emotions. Here's what it stirs up in terms of behavior. So when we enter Sushi, when we begin a period of meditation, Zazen, when we are practicing mindfulness, whether that's tasting a mouthful of food or sweeping the sidewalk, the same function is there. We're not doing this to create the right consequence or to eliminate uh, something that we've decided is not appropriate. We're doing this in a kind of giving over. And in Japanese Buddhism, this giving over, this... um, Maybe you could call it transformation. Um, one way I've heard it described, the term is kanodoko, and I've heard it described as mystical transformation. But really, it's just the process of life. Everything lives within its own intensity of being. And, and then transforms into the next thing. We create the environment, the structure of Shishin, and then we live it. We create it, and it creates us. Sometimes be more accurate to say it undoes us. When you come to Shishin, when, when you come to the environment of spiritual practice, it asks you to step out of all the usual structures of your reality, and then in this new environment to be undone. And it's difficult. 
And it's helpful to hold that. Because there, there is, you know, within us a deep wish to have life conform to what we'd like to have happen and what we would like to not have happen. It's a deep wish within us, a deep impulse. Uh, part of the challenge is to come to terms with that. And that's why I would say, maybe this is the hardest thing a human being can do. This is difficult. Not as a blanket statement, but just as a way to shift our disposition about the whole process. To bring a patience to it. If you think, okay, I'm going to do shashin, my mind's never going to wander, I'm never going to get any one of the single details of the forms wrong, I'm going to do it all exactly the way it should be done. Hmm. You might, but not very likely. (laughs) Much more helpful to think... um, This is a worthy endeavor. It's profound, it's powerful. And there's no telling what's going to happen as I engage it. And one of its great gifts is patience, kushanti. I recently read a description of Kashanti, usually described as patience. Uh, by Thich Nhat Hanh, he had described it as inclusiveness. And then he went on and he said, it's a willingness to include all the experiences you have. If you watch carefully, um, in the service of getting what we want and avoiding what we don't want, um, there's certain things we just don't want to include. There's certain things we don't want to acknowledge, and there's certain things we don't want to feel. Can we be patient with even that? Okay, that's the human condition. And as we can be patient with it, um, it introduces the tendency to not be so defined by it, or not so wrapped up in those impulses. it starts to become more possible to just see it for what it is. And as we start to see it for what it is, we start to feel it. We start to (coughs) notice 
the particulars of it. You know, in the early Buddhist suttas, uh, the descriptions of mindfulness, they don't say, notice this and then fix it. They say, notice this. And then as you get used to noticing it, notice how it comes about. Notice how it is when it's happening and notice how it is when it's falling away. Nowhere in there does it say, stop it, fix it, change it from that to that. And it says, in that noticing, uh, there's a shifting. Uh, sometimes it's called purification. The purification in, in the sense that it becomes itself. You know, that the way in which our mind wants to classify it and our emotions want to classify it as is this what I wanted? Is this what I wanted to not have happened? It shifts from that to being itself. It facilitates experiencing the experience. And it's a delicate process. Dogen Zenji, the finder of the tradition of Zen we're practicing, he said, you can't force it on yourself and nobody else can force it on you either. It's a delicate process. And I would say to you, maybe it's the greatest gift we can give ourselves. Maybe it's the greatest gift we can give each other. You know, in the caring professions, there's lots being uh, written about the great virtue of um, deep listening. You listen deeply to someone, almost inevitably they feel supported. I feel really heard by you. Something in them settles. Something in them feels connection. How do we listen deeply to the process of our own being? How do we handle gently the deeply ingrained impulse to get what we want and avoid what we don't want. Even if we're just listening to the clamor, the elaborate stories that have arisen out of it. And right in our zazen, we we construct um, the capacity for this. As I heard myself saying that, I thought, hmm, I'm not sure every Zen teacher would agree with that, the notion that you reconstruct.
but I would say directed attention is its own uh, kind of construct. And I would say the, the helpfulness of it, maybe the necessity of it, is the tenacity of our habits. If we could just be mindful all the time, why should we bother doing shishin? Why should we bother to meditate? Why should we bother with any mindfulness practice or awareness practice? So it leads me to say that in directing our attention, in aligning our body, stable, upright, at ease, at aligning our breath, letting the breath breathe the body, aligning our heart and our mind, then calling forth, giving over to the intention to be present. Not as an imposition, but more allowing a realization. Right here, right now, is when I'm alive. And I sort of get it that this I'm alive is just another notion. That really, right here, right now, aliveness. How to align the body, the breath, the heart, the mind with that disposition. How to let it sink in. How to let it be felt. So that disposition, that intention, that resolve, the disposition of patience. And then the last thing I'd like to mention is... um, the term sila uh, it's interesting sila is or shila in Sanskrit usually described as discipline but it's also a valid argument to describe it as virtue there's some way when we're caught up in what we want and what we don't want, that um, we're struggling. And that struggle um, creates its own non-alignment. That struggle creates its own misguided impulses and reactiveness. And as we start to loosen up, 
the grasping, the clinging of what we want and what we don't want, the disposition becomes more spacious. Just here, just now, becomes um, in a way more appealing. And it shifts something within us. We can see what's being seen. We can hear what's being heard. We can hear the rumbling of the air conditioning. Hear the gurgling of the fighting. And the impulses of the mind to categorize it as something worth wanting, something worth avoiding, or even just the feeling of pleasant or unpleasant. It offers us kind of spaciousness. It in a way soothes the distress because we never fully get what we want and we never fully avoid what we don't want. And that's distressing. And as we discover this disposition of allowing, it has something close to a virtuous disposition. The virtue being that it supports human life, the virtue being that it supports all life. The virtue being that the moment becomes more of a celebration. If we grit our teeth and think, I will be present. Dogen Zenji says, you can't force it on yourself and nobody else can force it on you either. So is that discipline? Or is that allowing? So I would encourage you, you know, uh, for those of you who are here, for the whole Shishin, to try to carry this disposition, this intentionality with you as you move through the different events. And then for those of you who are going to come in and out, can you come in, immerse in it, and then 
carry something of it with you into whatever's next. Because either way, you know, we, we can think of, oh, well, these ingrained habits, how, how terrible, you know, in the, in the notion of pure land of Buddhism. The pure land is where it's really easy to practice. You have no hindrances. But actually, from the point of view of the Bodhisattva, from the point of view that these so-called hindrances, as we shift the frame of reference, they teach us. They teach us kashanti. They teach us sila. They teach us generosity. You know, they, they, um, they teach us compassion. They teach us equanimity. And, and what it's about is there's a kind of an integration, you know. Sometimes it's in the midst of all this, to use a Buddhist term, dependent co-arising, all this interplay of being, how to bring in awareness. And then how can that awareness use Thich Nhat Hanh's word, inclusivity. How can that awareness include all the stuff that happens in the mind and heart? And when it's held with awareness, there's an integration. We, We become informed about the person we are. And the person we are um, offers the teaching of what it is to be a human being. And as we open to that teaching, we open to others. It's a virtuous process. Sort of, for those of you who are coming part-time, to come, immerse, carry it with you, integrate it back into other parts of your life. Can it influence maybe some way you're contracting or struggling with some relationship, some circumstance, some aspect of yourself that you're not comfortable with. And out of that, which is so, in a way, so interwoven with all other existence, that it's mysterious, that it's dark, it's as dark as winter. And how does awakening come out of that? Kano mm. doko. Mysterious 
transformation. Thank you.